Welcome to Stand at the Table. We are friends in community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best relationships come when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. In today's episode, we talk about the church, what's ahead, what's been behind us, and how we need to value change as we focus our lives on Christ. Sit back and enjoy our conversation. We hope you get something out of it. Welcome back, everyone, to Staying at the Table, our podcast that comes to you from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. I'm here today with Reverend Sophia Futris. Good day. <laughs> and the Reverend Doctor Tracy Saletta. Hello. And the inimitable Dave Moore, who's doing our sound for us and all kinds of other good things to make us sound fabulous. So today we're going to talk... Uh, and you are. Oh, I am. <laughs> I'm Brian Chilcote. I'm, I just attend here. I'm a guy. I just, <laughs> uh, I hang out here and sometimes I do this. So. He's the local librarian too. For <laughs> yes, oh, yes, yes I, he is. I take care of our library that we have here at Cornerstone. We have a lot of great books in there. Um. Some of which uh, maybe I'll talk about in the future on our podcast. But uh, today we're going to continue talking about why church, what are the ideas that we have about what church is, what it should be. Uh, we have lots of questions about that, and I'm sure you do too. So let's jump in and talk about why the church has so much difficulty when it comes to the idea of change or transformation, or staying a living community that adapts and changes uh, along with the cultures that it finds itself in around the world and across time. So, uh, I don't know, who'd like to try answering that first? Well, Tracy? first I want to ask you, mm. is what do you mean by change? Mm. Yeah, um, what I mean is the flexibility of thought, paradigm, forms, structures that need to change as cultures change, as worldviews change. For example, uh, in the first century, you would have uh, worldviews that are vastly different than the ones we have today. And you can see that reflected in the scriptures that we have written uh, in other historical documents. Uh, for example... Um, how the Apostle Paul talks about spirits and powers and principalities. That was a common Hellenistic view of how the universe worked. This whole series of and hierarchies of spirits and, and you might call them demons or guardians that uh, lived in the sky uh, and above that. Um, so you see that happening, but you know we've gone past that. We've grown out of that. That's changed. The average American doesn't really see that that's the way the universe works anymore. So that's changed. Has the church changed along with it? And should the church change? How much should the institution of uh, Christ followers in a body, how much should that change over time and across culture? Yeah. So I think what that's also being built on is... I think we've all grown up in 
the institution of a church or a denomination, that part of that is the truth has been stagnant. The the change has been stagnant. So, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, I've heard that so many times. Yeah, God remains the same. However, our interpretation of God changes. And, and we have built our churches around the theology, the doctrine, the truth that we hold to be truth, and then and then uh, demanded that the church remain like that. Yet culture, as you're saying, continues to change. So I think that we have built our churches and our systems of church. We have we have built them so closely aligned to our theology that any change we've made and we we had this in Cornerstone so many people have come back and said you know yeah you guys are changing you you're letting the world dictate right. your theology you're letting the world in you know the reason that you've become inclusive is because you're becoming worldly and you know, the decision we made to become inclusive was a very theological one for us. We made that decision based on that. So we changed not because of the quote-unquote world, but because we began to interpret the Bible differently and began to experience God different. And, you know, so often when the church changes, the term heretical, you know, Heresy comes up alongside of that, that people, people label change when a church changes is they're becoming heretical. Exactly. Yeah, and there's another dynamic to that too where it's a lot easier to define yourself as a, a group. We're talking about bounded set, if you can talk about the other people out there that have these wrong beliefs. <laughs> right, you know, right. The, the world, the worldly things, yeah. So there's this uh, uh, attitude that the church needs to be the bastion of conservatism to protect the holy thing that we possess against any kind of influence or change. And what we forget is that holy thing that we hold is based on interpretations yes. that have changed over time. Yes. We don't realize that those things are not as monolithic as we think, and where we're not really protecting anything we think we are. We think we're saying, we're going to stand up for the truth and uh, you know, uh, exclude anybody who might have a different view because ours is the right one. So it, it makes... It's the old uh, idea that if you have a common enemy, it brings you all together in a tighter community, mm. which is true, uh, but it requires making enemies out of a lot of people that we, we've decided at Cornerstone we don't want to do that. I think it perpetuates an us-and-them mentality, which I think historically has been, has been utilized for the purpose of control, fear, um, you know, war mentality of if we keep things the same and if we perpetuate what we believe about something and we pass that down, then we can continue to control and have this prototype of what it needs to be. And, uh, and as time goes on, it gets almost smaller and smaller. And so it becomes more exclusive 
And it just continues to, I think, perpetuate something that becomes harmful instead of helpful. So while I think the church needs to continually change and catch up with culture and society, because I think society and culture should inform the, the church experience. Also, I think there's something to be said about finding our way back to the simplicity of of some of the context of the way that Christian, quote-unquote, gathering was happening in some of those New Testament texts where it was simple. It was feeding. It was helping. It was praying. It was gathering together for the purpose of loving and serving, and it wasn't much more, which that, to me— goes beyond every culture if you get back to the very, very simple of the core of what I think the the first believers, how they engaged. I think it got more complicated over time once we added all these religious actions and um, liturgical things. That's when it became more complicated and less relatable to the any to the ever-changing society. Yeah, and I I would echo that in pointing out, you know, when Constantine in the fourth century decided to merge Christianity with the state, the Roman Empire, a lot of really odd things happened. And that was one of them, that the church became a political tool for uh, unifying the empire and getting everybody on the same page. Um, Before that, in the centuries before that, um, not only were many, many, maybe the majority of Christians also Jewish, they would persist in Jewish practices like going to the temple, observing Sabbath, uh, dietary laws, and so forth. Um, things started to to diverge at some point. It's not clear, entirely clear when and how all of that happened, but eventually you have... Uh, who knows how many we don't we really don't know but there were at least dozens of different ways that people decided to align their lives with Christ with the the Christ figure um and they were as different as night and day and it wasn't until later after many of them would were doing well growing uh over you know a century or two that the official church, the political church, decided that those were heresies and needed to be marginalized and stamped out. So we're left with that as a legacy uh, that we that has carried over into today, even though it happened so many centuries ago. It's still around where we we feel like we have the privilege, the church has the privilege of owning this truth that it's the one orthodox way to see things. And anybody who disagrees, we're big enough and powerful enough and have enough money that we can marginalize and squeeze them off to the side and not have to worry about them. And, you know, what is um, coming up for me is thinking about the way that the church, the Christian church, was founded, was by the heretical Christ, right? That yeah, yeah. that he came and what he did was speak against the religious institution of the day 
because they were doing exactly that, exactly what you're saying. And he comes and says, you say, but I say. Mm-hmm. You've heard it said, but I say this. And and when he was in John 14, speaking about the world, John 15 rather, speaking about the world, the world in that context was a religious institution. He was speaking against that. But when we read that he says the world there, we interpret it as the world, Mm -hmm. like culture. He wasn't speaking against culture. He was speaking against the culture of the church Mm -hmm. and against the religious leaders of the day. So our our whole church that we built on, the Christian has, is founded on somebody who came and said, "You don't, you don't, you don't got it. You don't, you, you don't, you're not seeing it." And so we, the the group that followed him, were heretics. They were heretics. So they follow him, and then we take it and build this institution, and say anybody who doesn't think like we do, you're a heretic, right? Mm-hmm. So we we did the same thing. That, yeah. you know, we, we keep going around this mountain of, and I don't think we have it right either, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not coming from a position of cornerstone thinking we have it. I'm coming from a position of cornerstone that we don't know, but we're doing the best we can. And yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And, and what it makes me think of is, isn't that then kind of to answer their question of, of like, should the church change of like, Yes, because Jesus as our model, that was essentially the first model we got of what church, quote unquote, is to be, is that it does challenge the systems of the day, of yes. oppression, of religion, of, of, of bigotry, of hatred, of racism. You know, there was those poignant statements that were made in the, in the New Testament of, you know, there's no more Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free. It's just these huge things that were being dismantled, and so I think that is the prototype for church continuing to change is Jesus. Yes, because he was the first one to do it, like you're saying. Yes, and yes. how much more are we called to do that? If he was only one person, one man, and entrusted that to all of us, how much more are we to do that in every system and every culture that we go into? Yes, and. You know, we see the world so differently than they did in, well, in any other century, really. Uh, Think about what we learned in high school about quantum mechanics and how there's that uncertainty that underlies everything and that matter is energy and energy is matter. You know, we all kind of have that uh, trickling into our culture and the ways we think about reality. That was nowhere near the way uh, the world was seen or thought about, um, you know, years ago. That's all new, but it's here. And the questions we have that we need to ask of God or of, you know, our, our, our church are very, very different than what we have, say, in the scriptures where there were specific questions being answered there that, that we don't have anymore, nor... Uh, does it address questions, that we, moral questions, ethical questions that we have, like, like cloning or, or um, you know, uh, 
uh, euthanasia, you know, AI, you know, artificial intelligence, oh, yeah. euthanasia, all of that. Um, how do we figure out the wisdom that uh, the ancients had and apply that to the ethical conundrums we have today? And that's where the church has a responsibility to change, I think, to, to be able to flex its forms and functions to fit uh, an answer to some of the questions that we have. Um, how do we continue to be Jesus-like and Jesus followers here and now? And it's gonna, the answer to that is going to be different than it was 500 to 1,000 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that's thinking about um, how with every, in Jesus's day, right, when, it, when Jesus was, was making these, these major moves and challenges to the culture and to the religion, to the world, there was, there was a lot of cost. There was a lot of disruption I mean, he, you know, he was murdered, right? So I think that's an expectation that I think we've seen at Cornerstone to bring it to a really micro level is that when you do that, when you partner with, with Jesus in that work, there is a cost and people do go ballistic and people do leave and people, you know, they, they can't handle it or they, they, they think you're just... They think you're just rubbing shoulders with the latest trend of culture. And, you know, I think it's it's encouraging to see that Jesus faced the same things. And just because you're, you know, just because we've seen those things happen doesn't mean that it's the wrong way. Doesn't mean that it shouldn't keep happening. But if anything, it's an indication to me of like, yeah, you're, you're going the right way. Because you're in resistance to the status quo that wants to keep people oppressed. And wants to keep some sort of form of control by a, a false sense of a, a homeostasis that doesn't bring any life for the other, the other half. Yeah, when you when you really look at the story of Jesus, you know he comes, and his disciples are not Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the educators. They're fishermen. And then when he's moving in and amongst the community, he's not telling people, "Come, you have to go to synagogue or, you know, to temple. He's, he's going to their homes of the quote-unquote tax collectors and sinners. He's going to those that the Pharisees and the religious community of their day kicked out. Right. They didn't want them in. And on top of that, he's, he's fraternizing with, with those that are considered to be prostitutes. He's allowing a woman, two women, to sit at his feet and learn. He's, he's breaking all kinds of systemic protocols, religious protocols. He is ripping them down. Even, even after the first story, after the resurrection, is a woman meeting him at the well who goes and tells his disciples. And by the way, there were women following him around that I'll bet you he called disciples. Yeah. But that the disciples didn't even acknowledge them as disciples. So, you know, he is is tearing into these religious 
walls and factions and talk about change. You know, his change was so radical, as you just said, Sophia, his change was so radical, he was, he was crucified. They did not want that much change. So, yeah, you know, and so suddenly the church does this radical about faith, not the church, you know, the religious community does this radical about faith change. And then the church nowadays suddenly steps in and goes, now we cannot change. Yeah. Right. So how do you see the future unfolding let's let's assume the best and say you know let's let's assume that there will be groups of christians who take these ideas seriously and want to make a change do you see that happening or is the uh, modern western evangelical well you know even catholics and mainline denominations as well um do you see the institution turning a corner or is it too far gone? Does something new need to grow up out of maybe the uh, the ashes of the old? I think I think it's already happening. I think that I f- I feel like in a lot of realms so many people are in a mass deconstruction, you know, that's the buzzword that's going around right now. They're separating from the old way of church Christianity. And I would say, without any statistics or real credibility at all, a good. (laughs) 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 I'm just keeping us balanced over here. Uh Uh, A good number of those, I mean, less than 50%, that's a real guesstimate, uh, are finding a way through it. And they're not just totally bagging it. 50%, I'd say, are bagging it. But so I do feel hopeful because, you know, I am seeing a a change. I am seeing an uprising in a focus on justice and love and inclusion and, and, and restoring this sense of kind of a more pure, original, Christ following spirituality. And so I do feel hopeful. I I feel disheartened by the direction of, in general, of of the evangelical ch- church and and what has happened there politically. But otherwise, I do feel hopeful. I see the. I I think it's going to match the same thing that it did in Christ days. Is it's going? You're going to always have both. Mm-hmm. I think I think in the same way he came and you know through a uh you know I don't know what that it threw a bomb in the middle of the room and and I and people followed him and people remained. I think it's going to it's going to stay like that. One of my greatest hopes honestly who would have thought that the Catholic Church would have put a Franciscan as the Pope, a radical Franciscan. Who would have thought that coming out of the Pope's mouth was we need to love the LGBTQIA plus community? Have they come as as far as, let's say, Cornerstone? No. But who would have thunk, right? Yeah. And so many things that I read that, that Pope Francis has written or done, you just go, what? 
right? How did he even get in there? And and the other part of that that I find fascinating is they didn't really want him in there because they knew he was going to be radical, Mm -hmm. yet somehow he gets in to be pope. So when I look at if a ginormous institutional church like the Catholic Church can can begin to change, I have hope that the church can change. But I, I do believe because it's the way it works, we will always have it's gonna be like this. It's it's gonna it's gonna be the clash. It's gonna right. always be the clash. Yeah, tension between, you know, when you call yourself a Christ follower or a Christian to someone who doesn't know the details about about it, um, you're going to be painted with the same brush as other parts of the body of Christ that you really don't agree with or aren't even remotely similar to. Um, so it, the challenge is to figure out how to carve out a, a place where we can still affirm the centrality of Jesus, but also talk about how we're different from the mainstream or the you know the the majority of churches that have decided we're not going to change so where what's what's ahead for cornerstone i one of the things that we you know, we were talking earlier about why did you stay anyway um is i'm excited about the direction that we're pushing forward into of a new way of thinking about what church is, how it's expressed, who who can be part of it. Uh, and I'm excited to see where that goes and what kind of, of um, story that tells to our community as well, because there are a lot of churches here in Westchester and uh, not very many like ours. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we kind of stand out uh, from a lot of them. Um, and they know we're here they they talk about us, I'm sure, um, but I like it that we're sort of the renegades of of our Christian community here in our town, and I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of change is next. You know, I think we're still there's still a lot to do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the changes will keep coming, but we need to be used to that. And I think about my kids who are way more accustomed to things changing every day or every week than I am. Uh, and the generations before me really aren't used to the rapid pace of change that just one thing after another. We're going to have quantum computing. We're going to have artificial intelligence. We're going to have all these things, just rapid fire changing. And to be in a position where we can change with it is is really good. Um, and I'm excited that we're going to be able to serve people in, in that environment of change over time as it as it continues to speed up. What's interesting um, in what you're saying and is what's coming up in me, you know, the very fact of – so we have been the last, uh, you know, I don't know, dozen, seven, six, whatever podcasts have been on – Hey, why have you stayed anyway? And we talked a lot about the changes of from Bob passing away, Pastor Bob passing away, the former pastor, and and me stepping in as a female, blah, blah, blah. So I think part of the difficulty of people accepting and 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 living through the loss was they didn't want to change. 
Mm-hmm. Right. It was the inability to change and the inability to give space to allow the change and allow the change to settle. So, you know, after in so many ways, after Pastor Bob passed away, you know, so many people bailed. They didn't want to be here. They didn't. It was like, okay, I can't be here anymore. Change. And then when I entered in as lead pastor, again, can't stay. Change. Mm -hmm. So we, we really are terrible at change. And with all the changes that I've made over the last eight years, which to me were not as fast as I wanted them, but that was warp speed for those around. Um, yeah, and yeah. and I felt it. I had to slow down, way down, because I felt the instability. People felt there was an instability in the church because I kept changing. I knew where I was going, right? Change. They they could not. They they found it difficult to change. And and even people, you know, they say you never know what's going to happen on a Sunday. People want to know what's going to happen on a mm-hmm. Sunday. So we're terrible. The church system is, you know, as we're having this conversation, I'm like having an epiphany, is terrible mm-hmm. at at changing. Yet, you know, things in this world, as you were saying, Brian, move at such a warp speed. And then people want to go, okay, it can happen everywhere but in the church. Right. And there's, I, I, I kind of get that. I understand that to a certain level because people are also looking for security and comfort because, because our world is crazy. And seven, six days out of seven, people are running ragged. Um, and if they can come into a place where they know what to expect and they know the routine in a lot of the appeal of a high liturgical church is everybody knows what to do at the right time and they feel like they've done something together as a community. Um, But at the same time, as we've been talking about, you can get frozen or locked into something that becomes very stale and ceases to apply to Monday Mm -hmm. through Friday. That's the point. And so what is it that stays the same in our rapid environment of change? What does the church provide that stays the same? Or what's the center that, that doesn't move, in, even if everything else does? Jesus. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking about that. You know, what, what would sustain people through necessary change? It's relationships. It's the... It's the trust that can be there to know, well, I know one thing won't change. The people here love me, and I love them, yeah. and, and I want to stay. I'll, I'll, I'll pay the price to, to hang on to that, even if it means being uncomfortable with all the changes that are going on. You know, that is the greatest change of them all for me, because people love me changes week to week depending on what I do, Mm, depending on, right? So even that is, for me anyway, changes. You know, the same people that looked at you and said, you're amazing, blah, you know, thank you so much and love you so much. We're here, you know, two weeks later, they're like, we hate you and we're gone. Amazing how that works. I know when I, the last church I was in, you know, there were a couple of people that, greeted us so warmly and so accepting and open. And Kathy and I looked at each other and said, I don't trust those people. <laughs> I think they're going to turn on us. And, right. and they did. And they did. Yes. <laughs> Gives it away. Yes. Yeah. 
I I think that a consistency that I see, at least in Cornerstone, is is the consistent invitation to connection with God. Is that, you know, I can't even say that Christ is consistent because Christ is only as as consistent as your awareness and acceptance of that consistency is. You know, so that's it. Hmm. Yeah. And I think if that's our message, that's going to see people through a lot. And uh, that's a role we can play in a way that really makes sense to not only now, but the future. Yeah. So, Well, you know, another way to put that is if the church building collapsed and we had to stop meeting because of whatever, what would remain? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever your concept is. Yeah. Jesus. For sure. It, you know, yeah, that how we think about um, all of that changes. But if this place were suddenly wiped and we're all put in jail or something, what would, what would follow us there? Jesus. Yeah. Nothing, God. Nothing can take away that divine That's right. connection Presence. that lives on the inside. Yeah, right. I think of any community I've been, a church community I've been a part of, this one feels like it would survive the loss of its facility. We would still want, I mean, it might be smaller, it might be in little groups. I don't know what, what form it would take, but I think we would still want to get together and somehow gather socially yeah. to, to share our, our desire to focus on Jesus and the, the life that he modeled for us. So yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, of any place, this place could do it. So on that beautiful note, um, we are going to come to a close today. Thank you to Sophia and Brian, and thank you to Dave. And it has been good joining with you all. And as I always say, tell your family and friends about us. I don't know why I have (laughs) to whisper that. (laughs) Well, that got their attention right there. So thank you. Find a table to stay at this week. Hang in there. You got this. Yeah. We'll see you later. Thanks. Bye. See ya. Love yous. Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saletta, Matthew Kistler, and James Beatty, and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? Email us at adminccf at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com. 